All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, a presentation of our friends at Four Winds Brewing, family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. Ask for the Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. I hear Prince Harry and Meghan Markle really like them. Some four wins. Harmon Dial, uh, David Quadrelli, technical producer, is Grady Sass. Yeah, they thought the beer prices at Rogers Arena were pretty <laughs> expensive, so they pre-ed and post-gamed <laughs> with some uh, four wins. Four they wins. went to fourwinsbrewing.ca, and they ordered themselves some four wins. Where, okay, where do you think the Royals stay? Also, iconic Sheraton Mall Center, we're coming to you from. Like, where, where, where do the Royals stay? Like, they have, they have Gotta a place? be West Van. Yeah, well, there's no hotels in West Van. Did you know that? That was a fun fact I learned. There's no That's hotels true. in West Van. None. The Aquilini Mansion? I have no idea where that would be. I think it's shocking. How do you book that on Airbnb, Brady? <laughs> <laughs> you don't. Um. Anyways, yeah, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry were at the game last night. I don't know about you guys, but the post-game content that we had at Canucks Army, I put Meghan Markle and Prince Harry in the title because I'm like, this, has, this can only help. It can't hurt, right? And then, holy cow, I did not realize how upset, like, a portion of society is about whatever. I don't know anything about the Royals. I don't follow the Royal family. I hope this doesn't get clipped and get out there because they're going to hate this. But I don't I don't really follow it. Like, I know there was some drama between them. And I don't, I don't know. Like, I've seen the South Park episode, and I laughed at it. But these, there, there's people who really, really hate Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. And I just, hey nobody need please don't try to explain it to me i don't care like that's what i want to make sure i don't want people messaging me on twitter be like ah here's here's what happened here's i i don't care first of all but second of all i just 
I'm stunned at how much like this this is an article it was instant reaction Megan Markle and Prince Harry watch Quinn Hughes become the NHL point leader the story was Quinn Hughes becoming the NHL point leader but everybody was in there like oh look at her cheering because that was the featured image I used was a picture of her cheering for the JT Miller goal and she's like standing up and be like look nobody around her is cheering and I was like look I know you're from England but you got to get to a Canucks game and you'll understand why someone cheering in a box is a featured image and that's a whole other thing anyways it was just I was stunned yeah I don't keep up with uh royal family stuff either I do love that the Canucks invited them on a night where they were going to play the San Jose Sharks it's like that's that's a, that's how you timing. make a Canucks fan for life. But also, I thought it was really interesting that before they were cheering for the Canucks goals, when the Sharks scored their first one and it was disallowed, the TV crew panned to a shot of Meghan Markle, and she had a look of shock on her face that the goal was called back. Not a look of confusion <laughs> as in what's going on, but a look of shock as in what's going on with my Sharks. <laughs> so I think I think they were going to cheer either way for whatever team was going to win. And I think that's why I was so smart for the Canucks to make sure that they picked a night against San Jose. To everyone's involved, their credit, the fact this didn't leak in the digital age, like he walked on the ice and everybody in the building was stunned. Like, I don't think anybody knew that was coming. Of course, that's the one game I send Wyatt Art to instead of me in the press box. That's the one game Wyatt goes to. The but, crowd's reaction when they announced yeah. that was they were to- everyone was caught off guard. And, yeah, And just to your point about the Sharks, you guys were probably too young to remember this, but October 2002, the Queen came, Canucks for Sharks. Mike Ricci and Marcus Naslin at the ceremonial puck well, drop center ice. We know that one because that is a framed photo right above the coffee table in the press box. That's the photo uh, right above yes. the coffee yeah. table. is, And then on the other side, you got Henrik with the heart trophy. Um, but anyways... <laughs> And right didn't Owen that. Nolan not go to that game because the Queen was going to be there? And I think it was born in the UK or so, in that, England. What? That rings a bell. Yeah, I think you might no. be able to. Maybe our listeners in the chat can uh, fill I'm us fairly on that. certain there, there was, was something. Thing. Yeah. Because it was a preseason game. So yes. it, it wasn't, oh. didn't actually count. And so I think, yeah. Yes. Daniel, Daniel Wagner. I almost call him Daniel Bullis. Daniel Wagner has written about this. This is interesting. This is I I didn't know that. The That's more great. you know. Some people love him, some people hate him. Wow, and Trent Trent Clot, I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything, but I think it's a distraction, said Canucks winger Trent Clot. <laughs> we weren't getting any quotes like that post game last night. We just talk it was stoked to fist bump Prince Harry. I It's a different time. Absolutely. Okay. Anyways, Anybody else want to get their uh, royal royal family takes in? Uh, we'll get those to anyone else. We'll get those to anyone else. Everybody, give us your uh, royal family takes. And people, there's there's uh, Sam give Ross. Give us your rankings, your tears. Yeah, Sam Ross <laughs> said, "I'm from England, and even I don't understand or care what's going on with them." Anyways, yeah, a lot of people pointing out why are people obsessed with royalty. Anyways, let's just move Queen Hughes it. is the only royalty I care about. Exactly. So let's talk about him. Quinn Hughes, the first player to 30 points. He's the it's the first time a defenseman has reached that milestone in a season before a forward since Bobby Orr in 1974, 1975. Is Quinn Hughes better than Bobby Orr? I don't know. It's the conversation. Or did right it now. five times. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Which is pretty crazy when that stat got brought up and you're like, man, he did that five times. Yeah. But look, it's 
unprecedented or i shouldn't say unprecedented it's historical what yep quinn is doing and i think just watching him play he's always had the elite talent but there's an added killer instinct that you notice watching him play the way that he relentlessly attacks and in moments where the team's in a bit of a lull he just says f this i'm putting the team on my back and that's the type of situation the canucks were in where it was 0-0 for a long time and it sort of felt like the game the type of game that the longer it went on being scoreless the more it favored the sharks because if you're a team like san jose you just want to park the bus play low event hockey and hope that you somehow get a goal get a bounce the canucks had their looks they were controlling play through the first half of the game but the Sharks arguably had the three best scoring chances when you look at the William Eklund shorthanded uh, rush where he basically missed an empty net. Giovanni Smith on the doorstep, uh, the disallowed goal, the, the initial rush on it. And I think at a certain point, Quinn just went, screw this. We're not going to have any of this drama. I'm just going to do this myself. And it sort of reminded me of preseason where the Canucks, if you'll remember, after the 10-1 loss, they'd been they'd continued losing in preseason and heading into the year where we were all talking about the importance of a drama-free training camp in preseason. The Canucks were playing the Oilers. The Canucks had basically their main roster, whereas the Oilers didn't send McDavid, didn't send Drysettle. They didn't have a good team at all. And everybody expected, like, okay, the Canucks are finally going to get their first preseason win. First period, the Canucks were bad they were outplayed and then in the second period Quinn just said okay look I'm just gonna single-handedly take over and him doing that ensured that there was no drama around wow the Canucks really lost to this B Oilers Bakersfield Condors exactly (laughs) yeah I mean his killer instinct being developed is something that I think we've seen over the past few years I think you've seen it kind of growing in his game but the fact he went out and did it last night and I think a prime example of that you point at the goal even how he scored the goal like he's looking off Philip Ronick who is calling for the pass calling for the one-timer and Hughes is saying no I'm going to do this myself obviously goes wide looks absolutely unstoppable with the puck on that play Mackenzie Blackwood thought he was gonna go high blocker like try and go over the shoulder short side and the fact that Hughes picked far side and, yeah. and perfectly nailed it like you heard the post on that goal perfectly Let's go of that shot. It's just ridiculously impressive. And there's a reason why Megan Markle's a Canucks fan now. The other thing that sort of stood out about that play was, I can't remember who was in front, but there was another Canuck in front. And this is where dual threat players who are equally proficient with their shooting as they are with their passing are so lethal is because when you're watching Quinn Hughes dart down the wall there, there's not only the threat of him shooting short side, but there's also the fact that he's such an elite playmaker. He could just whip it back door yep. with a cross seam pass. So as a goaltender, as you know, the defenseman in front, you're trying to account for three separate offensive threats. And when you have options, when you have unpredictability, that's what makes it so difficult for defensemen and goalie because they basically have to guess. Yep. There's no way of knowing what Hughes is doing in that situation. And, and so for me, even me watching that, Blackwood was thinking short side shot. I was thinking pass across. That's yep. legit what I was thinking because we've seen Hughes so many times in those situations look for that backdoor play. I was thinking that, and he picked the third option. 
I was Sam Lafferty in front of the net, by the way. Yeah, there you go. I was thinking I'm going to beat Chris Faber in our bet. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking he's going to shoot and I'm going to beat Chris Faber in our bet by, I don't know, mid-December. Quinn Hughes is going to have 20 goals. Um, on Blackwood, I will go to my grave saying the goalie should not be in the VH there. Like he should not have been in our VH. And he was. And Grady, jump in here. But my rule, and I know a lot of goalies do this as well, is like you take a... 30 degree angle and you create it from the red line to open the, to the open ice like that. And I'm showing yeah. it with my hands for those on the uh, podcast, but like Great a 30, visual. a 30 degree <laughs> angle is like the rule that I've heard some goalies use 30 degree angle. If it's, if it's there or below the goal line, obviously, then you go into RVH. He was in it way too early. And I think it really hurt him on that play. Yeah. I think he was trying to, he was probably expecting pass at that point and trying to, you know, get ahead of the play. If, if he was, if Hughes is going to swing it out to Lafferty in front. Now, most of the time you're actually trying to protect that little pocket on the short side. And, you know, NHL shooters are so good these days that they could thread that. So you just got to hand it to Hughes for getting that shot off and going completely far side. And, you know, the theme we've seen this season is Hughes is so much more aggressive walking off the line and getting, you know, not just any shot on that, but these like ridiculously high danger shots, whether it's the slapper, the wrister, or the snapper, like this, we always talked about what is his weaknesses in his game. And, you know, the, for years it was defensive in zone stuff, but it was his shot. And I think, remember that video they released, uh, started the season in Michigan with him. Uh, it's Jack Hughes and Dylan Larkin, I think in their basement, like he was in his roller hockey skates, constantly working on that shot and it's paid off. Scores his eighth goal of the year, now on pace to clear 30 goals. That's going to be the subject of our Atlas Goods poll question later in the show. Uh, we added that there was a shorthanded goal from Sam Lafferty. Just absolutely swings the momentum in the Canucks' favor in that game. That's at 19.59 of the second period with Niels Hoaglander taking a five-minute major. Uh, the Canucks were going to have to kill that off, and they basically they got to enter the second period with a two-goal lead, which was absolutely massive, I thought, for their effort. Uh, Hoaglander was fined the maximum allowable amount for slew footing, which wasn't great. But the one thing I really noticed in that game was when we look at it as a chance to reset and we look at a chance to rest, I'm looking at ice time. And I noticed that Quinn Hughes only played 23-24 of ice time. Philip Ronick was still kind of high at 26, but the game prior, those guys were pushing 30 minutes of ice time. So you like to see it come down the way that it, would, that it did in that game. And the other thing I noticed was, you know, guys like Friedman, Juleson, although they were still low, still higher than it was in Seattle. Like yeah. Seattle, you were protecting Hirose, you were protecting Juleson. Um, you're getting these guys a little higher. I thought, to his credit, I thought Noah Juleson played pretty well. Yeah, it's funny. I asked Talkett a question at practice earlier earlier today about how he, how he feels the blue line has sort of responded after Susie's injury. And Talkett specifically referenced Juleson and Friedman and mentioned that in previous games, they've been slow moving the puck. Mm. And that how many times has he harped on the importance of this team playing quickly? And he sort of said one reason why he felt they performed better against San Jose was because Juleson and Friedman weren't holding onto the puck too long. They were making quick, decisive plays. And as, and as a follow-up, I know I've mentioned on the show before, the role that the forwards also play in giving the defensemen extra options on the breakout there. I asked talking about that, and he said that Absolutely. He thinks it's a 50-50 balance in terms of the responsibility of why some of that depth maybe sort of 
struggled in that capacity earlier and, and why they sort of improved a little bit against San Jose. He also mentioned that they're either going to watch video or have um, have a meeting about the forwards coming back to their coming spots lower. quicker. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting that they're well aware that, yes, it's on Juleson and Friedman to move those pucks quicker, but also that they're already proactively looking at video and tape and the message is going out to the forwards that, look, you guys got to help, help out, be quicker to get back to these spots. That's interesting because, yeah, we've, we've talked about how Queen Hughes is a one-man breakout crew, but Mark Friedman and Noah Juleson are not one-man breakout crew. So you've got to have that forward support, and that's something we've been talking about on recent shows. Okay, it's time for our guest of the day, brought to you by Greta. The home of our electric watch parties, Greta Bar YVR, is Canucks Army's spot to catch the game throughout the season, playoffs, and also our place to chill in the off-season. Let's bring him in rink-wide Vancouver's Jeff Patterson. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing well, Harm. We meet again, so I'm down at the rink earlier at practice, and uh, Quad's always good to be on with you. I always skip practice. Everybody knows that. I don't need practice. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got somebody to cover it for you. There you go. <laughs> uh, Jeff, what did you make of the Canucks' overall response last night? Uh, keeping in mind that it was the San Jose Sharks, and they were a whole lot better than they were back on the 2nd of November, but I think everybody figured they would be. Uh, I, I liked Rick talking after the game, talking about his team finding a comfort level in a scoreless game because there will be more of those along the way. And a lot of time in playoff hockey, you get to the middle stages of a game and it's who's going to blink first. Now, you're not going to see the Sharks in the playoffs, obviously, but I, I do think that you can apply some of those things of just trying to find that comfort level of, you know, you don't have to break the game wide open. Obviously, you're trying to score every time that you've got the puck, but uh, so is the other team. And so... You know, at times it's going to be a chess match. And I, I think those are good experiences. Uh, you know, the Canucks made it a little more difficult on themselves. Uh, nice work by the coaching staff to challenge goaltender interference there. Because if the Sharks get the lead, you know, who knows how that game goes. Uh, although a lot of nights they score one and, and they're done at that. Uh, and ultimately that's all they got on the night. But, uh, you know, the Canucks, that was a, such a turning point. The, the coach's challenge, two minutes later, Quinn Hughes. I heard you guys talking about him and his goal you know, that opens the scoring. I think that allowed the Canucks to just exhale a little bit. And then the Hoaglander penalty and to get a shorthanded goal with uh, half a second remaining. I mean, massive swings in that second period. So uh, it was important that they got the result last night. Uh, it only gets tougher from here. And I'm really, like, I, I'm really looking forward to, to Wednesday in Colorado. You know, these are the tests that the Vancouver Canucks have to measure themselves. And they may not beat the Avalanche, but... I do think that there'll be a lot to take away uh, from that hockey game. And of course, Vegas is in next week. You know, one thing the Canucks, like they, the results are there. The record is what it is. But if we're just keeping it real, they haven't faced a ton of the top teams in the National Hockey League. We all thought Edmonton was going to be, and they saw Edmonton three times in the first dozen. But, you know, they obviously caught Edmonton at a good time that Saturday night against Dallas. They certainly passed that test on home ice, but they haven't seen a ton of the top top upper echelon teams in the national hockey league and so serve it up really looking forward so you know good springboard i think they're feeling good about themselves had a quick practice and jumping on their jet this afternoon uh to the altitude of the mile high city and a showdown with the colorado avalanche on wednesday night jpet what did you make of the hoaglander penalty do you think it deserved a major and why do you think the penalty kill was so successful in killing that off and also getting the shorthanded goal yeah, you know what, Harm? I, I think 
the officials got this one right, and that may not sit well with people in Canucks Nation, but I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, there were processes in place. You know, the honest officials, they get one look at it in real time, and it's tough to make that determination. So you call it a major, and that allows them to go and review it on the iPad at ice level. So they got a couple of looks at it. Uh, there's no place in hockey for Slewfoots. And ultimately, he gets his leg behind the bank and uses his leverage. Like, I think it does check off the box to be considered a slew foot. He doesn't kick his feet out. Uh, you know, there are more dangerous slew foots, but I do think by the letter of the law and slew footing is now in the NHL rule book. And so, uh, unfortunately for Hoaglander, they threw the book at him. He gets tossed in a one nothing game. I mean, pivotal point there of the hockey game against a better team and a better power play. You know, that might have done the Canucks in, but ultimately not only able to kill it off through the remainder of the second period, but score the buzzer beater from Sam Lafferty. And I have to say, and I, I mentioned this on, on Twitter last night, like Mackenzie Blackwood was terrific for the San Jose Sharks, and he's going to be busy and they're going to need him to, to stay in hockey games, but he has to have better situ situational awareness. Like with five seconds to go, he can't just poke the puck to the corner and allow a Canuck four checker to go get it there. Like, you know, do whatever you do, ring it high around the glass and try and clear the zone, just run the clock out. But he put the puck into a, a troubled spot and ultimately the Canucks made him pay. So great work by Lafferty with his speed to get in on the four check, Bluger with the opportunity. And then Lafferty had the presence of mind to get to the front of the net. Uh, Shark defenseman didn't do a whole lot to help their goaltender. And I think that's been a, a running theme for them pretty much all season long. But uh, I kind of thought that, you know, they were the authors of their own demise there. But that's such a, you know, again, if it goes to the third period in a one goal game of, fluky bounce, uh, you know, whatever. The Sharks are one shot away from tying it. And so the Canucks had a little bit of a cushion as they went to the third period. And ultimately they trade goals in the third and the Canucks will win it going away. So, uh, uh, you know, again, there's going to be better opponents ahead for the Vancouver Canucks. So I think it was just important. Get those two points and try to build off them as you head out on this road trip now. Jeff, on Patterson's point over at Canucks Army, you wrote about the Hughes-Heronic pairing. We were talking about that pairing in a bit of a negative way yesterday, just that they've been getting caved lately. Looked like a really strong bounce back for that pairing last game. What did you think of them? Yeah, and again, I mean, context matters. It was the Sharks, right? Like, I, I, I'm not going to read too much into what they did or didn't do against San Jose. Let's take a really close look at how the Canucks go about it without last change on the road in Colorado against an Avs team that's uh, going to be PO'd. I mean, they they basically flushed one. They had a last-minute lead against Nashville and gave up two third-period, two final-minute goals. So uh, I think you're going to see a mad and motivated Colorado team uh, that's going to want to kind of knock the Canucks down a peg here. Uh, but that pairing has been terrific. And, yeah, I mean, one of the things I was curious about is they're racking up these points. I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, over 50-some-odd years, the Canucks have had a lot of, you know, good defensemen. Uh, Quinn Hughes obviously has taken it to another level on his own, but what about two defensemen at the same time on the same Canuck teams? And so did a little bit of digging there just to figure out, you know, where is the bar as far as combined points from two defensemen in any one season? And, you know, I wasn't shocked that the bar is relatively low as it has been uh, across the board in so many categories for this organization, still without its Stanley Cup, uh, but 100 points combined from two defensemen and we're going back to 1983-84 Rick Lands and Doug Hallward so it's been a while and Quinn Hughes on his own just shattering records and rewriting the record book and Philip Ronick on the pace that he is on like they might get to 100 points combined 
by the midway mark of this season, guys. Like, And that's not hyperbole. It's just the way Hughes is going and Hironic just you know going about his business and picking up points along the way too, that it wouldn't shock me if by the 41 game mark, you're looking at Quinn Hughes with, you know, 50 some odd points and Philip Hironic maybe pushing up against 30 points, whatever the case. Uh, these guys are well on their way if they stay healthy. And that's going to be the key here. Uh, But it's not about points. It is going to be about uh, how do they defend against some of the other best teams in the National Hockey League and best players. And, you know, one of the subplots for me, guys, in this game in Colorado on Wednesday, I mean, we know what Canucks have, Canuck players have done individually. But you got Kale McCarr, who is keeping pace with Quinn Hughes. I don't know if he's motivated and spurred on by what Quinn Hughes is doing, but uh, I think he wants to maintain his grasp on that title of, you know, best defenseman in the National Hockey League. We've got Miko Rantanen, you've got Nathan McKinnon as well. Seven of the top 17 scores on the same sheet of ice at Ball Arena on Wednesday. So uh, it truly is a heavyweight showdown. And uh, the Avs with last change, you know, there's going to be that cat and mouse game. We'll see how they try to work that to their advantage. But uh, whatever the case, uh, I'm sure the Canucks will get Hughes and Hironic out there an awful lot. And they're going to have to be at the top of the game because uh, that Colorado team can be as explosive as just about anybody in the National Hockey League. Jeff, at what point in the season do I win the bet against Chris Faber? Where When, when does Quinn Hughes reach 20 goals is what I'm really asking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, 8 through 19 is incredible. I, I always felt he was a double-digit guy just because of how much he plays, the role that he plays on the power play, and how much he has the puck on his stick, quite frankly. But I didn't see him on pace for 30 goals. I, and, and, you know, it's going to be difficult for him to get there. Uh, but 20 certainly seems within his grasp now. And, uh, you know, it's hard to put a date on it. But Answer the question, Jeff. <laughs> I want to say somewhere in the 70s. Like, he won't, he won't keep you hanging like, <laughs> right to the very end. I would say somewhere between game 70 and 79, Quinn Hughes will be a 20-goal scorer for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, J-Pat, I wanted to ask you about Anthony Bavelier. He was generating a couple of chances in that game. Talkett moved him up to the JT Miller line. What do you make of what you saw from him last night? And do you think he deserves an extended look perhaps on that Miller line over Phil DiGiuseppe? Yeah, I had a really good chat with Anthony after practice today. And I have to admit, uh, when I approached him, I kind of said, like, you know, I'm going to talk about the lack of goals and sort of rolled his eyes. But I wanted to go deeper than that because – you know, he's a veteran now. He's not old. He's 26, but he's been around the block a few years. And and I just kind of wanted to get at this idea of, you know, as a player, do you know when you're playing well, even if the offense isn't there? And if you look at the underlying harm, and I'm sure you have, like across the board, like he doesn't get scored on. He doesn't have to defend an awful lot. Like his underlying numbers are really good. And that line with Lafferty and Hoaglander, uh, again, they spend most of their shifts in the offensive zone. Has he been unlucky? Like, he's fifth on the team, fifth in the forward group in shots on goal. So there absolutely is an element. I mean, his shooting percentage is way below uh, his career average. That said, he's getting paid. He's been a 20-goal scorer in the National Hockey League. And his two goals to date came not only in the same game, in the same period, and they were the ninth and 10th goals in that 10-1 romp over the San Jose Sharks. So... (laughs) Uh, you know, pretty hard for him to sit there and say, yeah, I'm producing, but he's not getting scored on. And I think when you're in it, it's a different role for him. He's always been a higher in the lineup guy, even on the island. And and when he arrived here last year playing with Pedersen and, and Kuzmenko, and he talked about there has absolutely been uh, 
you know, an adjustment in that regard. His ice time is down about uh, two minutes from his career average as well. So he's not playing an awful lot, but away from the puck defensively, uh, he's doing a lot of good things. And a lot of that is that he's just not having to defend. The other thing is he's taken one penalty. So he's not hurting the team. And sometimes uh, when guys are struggling, uh, whether it's through frustration or just not adhering to uh, the system and doing the job that they're supposed to do, you know, get a little lazy, lackadaisical, start to take, he's taken one penalty and it came late in the game, uh, the November game against the Edmonton Oilers when the outcome was already out of reach. So, you know, he, he's staying within himself. He's being disciplined in that regard. He's not hurting the team and putting them in, in tough spots, but at 4 million bucks on an expiring contract, it's a contract year for him. He knows that. Uh, but he did say that, you know, if people wonder, he's uh, sleeping all right because he said the people that matter most uh, understand that uh, he's still doing a lot of good things on a lot of nights for this hockey club. It's just that, uh, yeah, two goals at the 19-game mark, uh, and they came in the same game. Uh, that's not getting it done for him. But I asked Rick talking about that and talking, you know, he, he talked about the fact that basically he thought Bovillier had earned the promotion last night. It was more about Bovillier kind of going in that third period than it was about PDG. And we kind of thought maybe we had saw, you know, saw a little tough love on Saturday for Kuzmenko. I thought maybe Phil DiGiuseppe was getting some of that treatment as well. But uh, the coach seemed to think that it was more about, they were down to 11 forwards without Hoaglander. And so there were some odd combinations, but uh, it felt to me, listening to talk it today, he said that, you know, he kind of thought that Beauvillier had earned that opportunity, but in the same breath, he did say, got to get to the inside, can't hang out there on the perimeter if uh, he's going to find his goal-scoring touch again. But uh, it does feel like a little snake bit because he had that chance in the second period off the rush, Hoaglander to Lafferty, and, you know, I, I think at other times in his career, he's probably picking his spot and scoring there. Uh, can't get all your goals against the San Jose Sharks, though. Uh, there are some other teams in this <laughs> in this league. So, uh, like any pro athlete, like he wants to believe that it's just to, you know get a bounce, get that first one, and he's always been a streaky kind of guy. There has to be more of a bottom line, but I do think if you look under the hood, the rest of the numbers around Anthony Villier are actually pretty positive, and he's not hurting the hockey club. I suppose is the point I'm trying to make here. Jeff, being around the team every day. Have you noticed any like big differences in just the vibe in the locker room among the players compared to this year and last year? Thousand percent. Uh, I I go back to you know that start of the schedule last year, the 05 and two, and I think it was the seventh of those seven losses. It was because the home opener was Buffalo when jerseys were being flung on the ice, and then the next game, Carolina came in and absolutely schooled the Canucks, held them to 16 shots on goal on home ice, and I remember going into the locker room after that game and uh, like it was just like so dour in there. And that's when the, you know, don't step on the logo and guys started oh, yeah. freaking out at the media and all that kind of stuff and looking for any and all scapegoats. Uh, and I get it. Like, you know, they hadn't won. It was seven games. They knew what was at stake. And obviously it cost a coach's job and there was so much dysfunction and uh, they're having fun. Winning is fun. And when you think of sort of the longtime Canucks here, Besser and Miller and Myers and Hughes and, and Pedersen, they haven't done much winning. And so I, I truly believe that these guys, they know they haven't accomplished anything, but if it is the journey, then they're enjoying every step of this right now. And to, you know, a chance to get to the 20 win mark or 20 game mark with 14 wins, if they can go in and knock off the abs so even if they lose that game they're still what 13 six and one at the 20 game mark which is incredible but they have a chance to go you know 14 wins in the first 20 games with a victory so absolutely um you know 
this is they're experiencing things that this group hasn't uh, in its time together. And I just think you can feel that in the locker room. Like it's truly a a mood and, and as you said, a vibe. So yeah, uh, without a doubt, it's like night and day. Can someone, either of you, explain this to me? I Okay, I've been to more games this year than last year, obviously, but I've not once seen the Canucks logo in the locker room. And I'm always looking for it because I don't want to step on it. Well, it's but- there. They have a cover. It's like a manhole cover. So where the was same- the cover last year? I don't understand. Well, it existed, but uh, there's a part of me, the cynical part of me, that thinks that when you had lost the first six games, that we basically walked into uh, a little bit of an ambush. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I think that like it, it, the trap had been set there, and so I I don't know I, I I don't think that I was one of the ones that dipped my toe in the logo waters, but uh, there were some um, because now, as you guys know, and we're getting inside things here, but you know all of those scrums are done at the very front of the room, so that when you enter, you wouldn't even hit the middle of the room and the rug with the logo. But that night, as I recall there was sort of this stampede to get to the back of the locker room. I think it was JT Miller was standing mm-hmm. there in his stall. And it honestly, it kind of felt like, uh, all right, let's see. Let's uh, lay this <laughs> crap here. On, and see if any... on each side of the logo. Pretty much through. like, yeah. Like the velvet ropes, like kind of hurting <laughs> us right through the, the troubled area so that they can <laughs> kind of lose their minds. And, and it, again, it was just, it, it wasn't uh, a particularly good environment for anybody, <laughs> for the media, for the players, um, but things have changed and yeah, just a lot more fun around there and they seem to be enjoying themselves and, and why wouldn't they, they've uh, earned that right right now with the, the start that they've got off to you. Jeff, great stuff as always, my friend. Thank you for joining us. All right, guys. Thanks. Jeff Patterson, uh, over at Rinkwide. Be sure to go subscribe to Rinkwide wherever you get your podcast, leave a review for this podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm giving you a lot of tasks. I know, but subscribe to the Canucks army YouTube channel. Go listen to Rinkwide. You're already listening. Too many instructions. I already lost track. What <laughs> instructions unclear? Unsubscribed from every every podcast. <laughs> you would make a terrible teacher, Quads. Oh come on! I want. You know what? I actually that was my uh, backup plan. So maybe it's good it didn't work out. But I was going to be a high school English teacher. That was what I wanted to be since I was like thirteen. I knew I wanted to be a high school English teacher. Everybody knows my story by now. But I was you know studying English at SFU. I liked writing, and. uh here we are. I'm glad you ch- you said English and not math because oh, no. if I was in your math class, you'd tell me to put the calculator away and just rely on vibes. Yeah, yeah go on your vibes. What do you think four times 12 is? What do you think? <laughs> just guess. Just guess. Anyways, uh, Jeff Patterson, of course, brought to you by our friends at Greta. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, let's get to our poll question today, which is brought to you by Atlas goods you can use promo code cc15 for 15 percent off your first order of pop rinds the best fresh pork rinds straight from your microwave or air fryer high protein low carb plus they're locally owned and operated these are pork rinds like you've never seen before promo code is cc15 at atlasgds.com our bowl question today how many goals will quinn hughes finish the season with 10 to 15 15 to 20 20 to 30 or 30 plus i didn't use i'm angry today went back to uh 30 plus because i just want to see if anybody really wanted to see 30 plus uh as the answer and i don't think there were many at all our results here <clears throat> excuse me our results leading the vote right now 15 to 20 48 percent of voters say 15 to 20 20 to 30 is what 37 percent of people say 10 to 15 9 percent people 30 plus 6% of people say 30 plus goals. And I couldn't have explained those answers any worse uh, if I tried, but to reiterate 48%, the majority say 15 to 20 goals. I don't, I guess that includes 20, but you don't think he's clearing 20. Well, you want to bet on it? I'm not betting you on this. <laughs> on pace for 34 and a half. Right yeah, now. like, come on. I can't, I, I'm stunned. And I voted in the 20 to 30 range. I don't think he's going to break 30, even though he's on pace to do it. He's clear in 20. Come on. Probably. Put an Eliza steak dinner on it. I want two of these. Oh, I'm not betting you on this. <laughs> Why would I bet against Quinn Hughes? Ask Faber. Well just Ask throw Faber. Money away. <laughs> no, I mean... I think for me, I view it as I think it'll be somewhere in the 17 to 23 range. Okay. And yeah, you're probably right. it's close. The thing to keep in mind is, which I think I'm honestly impressed at how Canucks fans are, are tempering their expectations realistically here because you look at the numbers and look, he is shooting 13.8%, which is nearly triple his. Uh, career shooting percentage and look, which is his career shooting percentage is a 5.7%. Relying on my calculator here, you're going to come back with some vibes. Absolutely. Statement. I am. I'm already ke- gearing now, up. We all know he's improved his shot. There's clearly a velocity. So he's going to finish on more of his chances than he has in previous years. Mm-hmm. But there goes one of my arguments. Okay, continue. <laughs> but he's not going to continue scoring on nearly 15% of his shots. And I think... Yeah, the 17 to 23 range makes a lot of sense. It would still make him one of the top goal-scoring defensemen in the NHL. Have you considered that the vibes are really good right now, though? And that Quinn Hughes needed a bounce-back game and went and controlled the game? Have you considered he's got the killer? You brought it up, the killer instinct. Do you think killer instincts are looking at their shooting percentage? I'm just I don't even know what I'm going with this. I don't know. He's he's clearing 20. Mark my words. He's clearing. I'm not disagreeing. If he doesn't clear 20, I lose this bet, and I look like a big dummy with chris and that can't happen well you just gotta let quinn know just tell him one day that you nope. got this bet going on nope 
Uh, and tell him, tell him that Chris is betting against him. That'll get him going. <laughs> I bet you he saw the Dom 3B rankings. Oh, yeah. And that gave him a chip on That's his shoulder. Right. Now tell him Faber's betting on him under 20 goals. Hopefully leading the league in points is enough to get Quinn into 3A. We'll have to have Dom on. <laughs> By the way, speaking of, uh, of Faber, ran into him at, uh, at practice today. And he said that he had just gotten home, was randomly flipping the show on. And the first thing he immediately hears is you ripping him about his <laughs> Rocket League skills. And he's wondering what's up with yes. that. Oh, shots fired. Oh, I hope he's listening right now. He knows. I I, I get MVP on our team basically every single game. <laughs> if I don't get MVP, it's because someone beat me in points by like this much. I'm just saying. So you're the Quinn Hughes of Rocket League. I, I actually am. I, I, carry, I carry our team. And he knows it. So who is he of Rocket League? You know what? And Chris, I hope you're listening to this. Sam he, Lafferty? No, no, no. He's better than Sam Lafferty. He he is playing some top six minutes for us. He's oh. he's a he's a contributor. Mikheyev. He's a Mikheyev. He's he's hard on the forecheck. Like I'm not. I'm, look, all the respect in the world. And for those that don't know what Rocket League is, it's soccer but with cars is the easiest way to describe it. And Chris it's a gets, video game. It's a, it's a video game. game. Yes, it's a fun game. Yeah, and we're not driving at the Vancouver <laughs> airport. We rent out a field. Oh, that would be so fun. <laughs> anyways, I mean, there's real. Anyways, we're not starting this. Uh, anyways. Favorite gets in hard on the four check. He sets me up a lot of times, and I'm just I'm I th- I think I'm just a better finisher than him. Anyways, he didn't answer my question. What was your question? You, you got to name a guy. Oh, PDG. Sorry, okay, PDG. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. hard on the four check. Can really he can make some nice setups. Not the best finisher. Okay, should we actually use that to transition into chat about PDG? Because I think Jeff brought it up that he was maybe not not bench, but Bovillier was elevated above him. Are we nearing the end of the PDG experiment in the top six? I don't even know if you can call it an experiment. It's been over a month into the season, and everybody loves the PB and J line. But I just think lately there's been a few moments. There was one in Seattle that, or against Seattle, excuse me, that really sticks out where he was at the net front and he didn't finish the chance. He put it wide. And you just think, like, this is a guy on your top line, right? Like, on your top line. And he's playing with JT Miller and he's playing with Brock Besser and he's not really picking up points. He isn't finding himself. I don't even want to say he's not finding himself in positions to score because when he does find himself in those positions, he just hasn't converted. Yeah. It's interesting because that line as a whole at five on five, I mean, JT's continued driving the bus and he was a monster again last night against San Jose, but quietly their underlying numbers haven't been as strong. I wonder if part of it is look, PDG's at his best on the forecheck. We know that as the first man in, coming in with speed. And what he does so well is he forces the opposition defenseman to make... It's not that he's the one necessarily forcing the turnover right away. It's that he's forcing a less than ideal play. He's forcing the defenseman to make uh, a rushed play. And then it's Miller that swoops in as a second forechecker and often steals the puck. Now Miller's controlling the puck down low. And with his playmaking down low... That's how he's able to find Brock so often in the slot, and that's how how that line cooks. Now, I wonder if part of it is the Canucks as a team haven't, aside from the San Jose game, they're not breaking the puck out as well from the back end as they did earlier in the year. Hmm. And for that line to be successful in the forecheck, they need to be transitioning the puck quickly. They need clean exits so that by the time they gain the red line, their forwards are in full flight, so that PDG is in that spot. It just feels like lately... Again, outside of uh, outside of San Jose game, that line 
hasn't like that whenever they're sharing the ice with the blue line blue lines having trouble breaking it out and because of that the line's playing slower and because the line's playing slower by the time they do get to the red line it doesn't feel like they have speed to get in on the four check and i don't think that's necessarily pdg's fault but that is something to watch in the games moving ahead is can the blue line start to transition the puck better uh, can even as a five-man unit can the miller line help them quicker get to the red line so that PDG can be more effective on the forecheck because that's one half of the equation. And then the second half of the equation is the finishing aspect, which is probably the bigger, like that's in his control. Whereas the first point isn't really in his control. Like, I don't think it's his fault that getting to the red line has been more of an issue. The finishing though, that's something that, especially him being a career AHL and HL tweener, that's probably the biggest question you've had in terms of can it be a season-long fit. I think you continue giving it a look. Hmm. But as Bavillier starts to maybe gain some traction, that's something to sort of be mindful keep of. Keep an eye on. Yep. Keep an eye on. I was also thinking it's too bad Hoaglander took that match penalty because he was flying in that yep. first period. And I honestly was thinking to myself, whether it's on the Miller line or even moving somebody around uh, on that Pedersen line, mm-hmm. just felt like, could you promote Hoaglander to give the top six a bit of a spark? And then it's unfortunate he goes and takes that match penalty. But if Hoaglander is able to stick in the lineup and continue to bring that sort of value, he's another player I look at as, could he in spark sort of give that top six another look? With PDG, it's almost like you brought up Bavillier being the replacement. You don't really have a replacement who's going to forecheck as hard. You don't have someone who's going to win as many board battles. And you just highlighted those are the things that PDG does so well. It's almost like... Yeah, you might want to take the lack of finishing ability and just that's something you have to live with because of what else PDG brings to that line. So we'll see uh, what direction the Canucks go. Grady, you have something to say? Yeah, I was just wanted to point out like later on in the season, you know, if they continue this this excellent play they've shown us here so far, I think that's one area that Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford might look to upgrade. Now, they would have to first move Beauvillier out. Think in an ideal world, PDG. I always struggle with that. Is probably playing in your bottom six, um, just for the points you kind of alluded to, the lack of finishing. But he does so many of the little things well that, for the time being, especially with Besser and Miller producing, you can kind of get away with it. And to Harm's point, like we saw Bovillier take some shifts there last night. Um, maybe they start to experiment more with moving guys up up the depth chart and perhaps P D Giuseppe moves down at some point, or they just acquire another body later on in the season. Okay. Almost, yeah, I almost feel on. like in a perfect world, you'd be able to sort of push PDG almost down to that Garland line and have him yeah. playing that Joshua role. And, and that Joshua, Joshua is, is, in, yeah. in, is on a good team. He's a fourth. Line. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, and the other thing related to sort of Joshua and Garland, because they've been playing so well lately is, Man, I feel for them not having Suter lately because Bluger's doing the little things right in terms of face-offs, defensive responsibility, and even helping out on zone exits. Like that line had a couple of breakouts where earlier in the show we were mentioning Talkit wants the forwards to provide the defenseman with more support. I thought Bluger is one of the better examples of what you're looking for in that capacity. Mm-hmm. But the guy has no finishing. And it just feels like Joshua Garland, they create so much havoc and and Bluger gets so many looks in and around the slot, but he just can't finish. And that's not his fault. He's a fourth liner and a good team. 
it, we were just mi- missing Suter and, and his finishing ability in such an unfortunate time for him to um, to go down. Taka today was saying that he's still being evaluated on a day day to day basis, which paying attention to the, the specific terms there. I wonder if being evaluated day to day is different than he is day to day. Ah, that's one thing where the Devils ha- have have been saying that for a while about Nico Heeshear, who. I believe has um, I think he has an upper body injury and he's missed a decent amount of time. And for Suter for a long time, day to day has been thrown, thrown around, but is it, uh, I'll, I'll probably need, I should follow up about These that. These are ph- philosophical questions for Canucks PR, not us. <laughs> yeah. But something to, to be mindful of yeah, because I mean, that third line is, is even better when it has Suter on it. And Suter was on that goal scoring little kick. I know. Right before he went down too. And how long have we been we we spoke about Suter? I think it was our first show together how they have so for so long needed a third line center who could also give you offensive output. I mean for Jason Dickinson, there was neither, right? Like you were expecting great defensive play. You didn't get anything from Jason Dickinson when he was here. So he didn't work out. You know, Brandon Sutter, all the all the list goes on, right? The fact that Pia Suter was starting to get there with the offense and he was starting to go on that little goal-scoring kick that we all love to see. Yeah, you really noticed Teddy Bluger and his lack of finishing ability because I think just because maybe some recency bias of Suter chipping in recently, like more recently than Bluger did, and he was finishing on his chances. Like when you're watching a power play and Teddy Bluger hops over the boards, you're like, oh, oh I know. Stop, stop. <laughs> There's got to be a better there, option. There was right? a moment where JT on one of the power plays came off came off pretty early. All the other four for um, uh, first power, power play, play unit, yep, guys were on the ice, and it was just Teddy Bluger who joined. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, this is you got Pedersen, you got Hughes, you got uh, Besser, Kuznenko, Teddy and Teddy Bluger beaver tailing on the side. No, well, it's just like he just stuck to the net front, and I'm like, Absolutely. you know what, just. I think it's a good moment to stop the move movement. Leave him at the <laughs> net. Front. Oh my God. And you guys talking about the suitor line finding its groove offensively, defensively too. I believe the goals for goals against was three Oh, uh, Joshua Garland suitor. So, you know, they could be trusted with defensive matchups as well. It wasn't just on the offensive side of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to anyone else brought to you. By our friends over at DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with our effort default, effortless, you could say, contactless delivery setting. And listeners of this podcast are going to get involved in the YouTube live chat right now. It's also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more with the code nation 25 that's all capital letters nation and the numbers two five for 25 percent off up to ten dollar value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the doordash app app store and enter code nation 25 offer valid in canada so we change terms apply labored through that ad read um <laughs> let's get to anyone else of course brought to you by doordash and we've got a few in the chat here we'll go to Corey anderson first this is a good one I, I'm going to shift it a little, Corey, if you don't mind. Corey said, besides the two Connors, if you had to start a franchise with any player, who do you choose? Two Connors is, of course, referring to McDavid and Bedard. Oh, man, I'm that's gonna, a really... I, I'm just going to say Jack yeah. Hughes. 
Yeah. yeah. Especially at that contract. Yeah. I think you got to keep that in mind. Here, okay. So, right? so, so let's, and that's a great point, Grady, because this is how I want to shift your question, Corey. Unless, do, do you have a different player? Because I, no. I was going to Kale say, McCarr? see, so this is, this is my question. Kill McCarr, Quinn Hughes to start, a, start a franchise, but you're all taking into account. Let's take into account their cap hits and you're searching it up. Um, remind everybody what's kill McCarr at? What is Quinn Hughes? McCarr four years, nine, uh, four years left, 9 million per. You were starting a franchise, and you get so equal so, term. They're both locked up for four years. Yeah, uh, Quinn's at seven point eight five. Makar's at nine. So let's just paint a picture, and this is this is going to be something. This is going to be the subject of our article on Canucks Army. I'm sure. Our, our shout out to Clark. Clark, we just hired Clark Corson, um, friend of the show. Now he's doing our articles over at Canucks Army. He's going to write about this. And Grady, you're going to clip this. Let's pretend for a second. We are reviving the Atlanta Thrashers. You are called, you're bringing hockey back to Atlanta and you're going to the expansion draft. And for whatever reason, the Vancouver Canucks and Colorado Avalanche have left Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes unprotected. But for Seattle Kraken related reasons, you only want one good player. So you are picking between Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr in this scenario. Both guys are unprotected. I, I don't matter who you're picking from other teams. Don't start with, well, Colorado's also going to have to make this guy available. Doesn't matter. You're picking between Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes. Of course, Atlanta Thrashers, the next captain of the Atlanta Thrashers. Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes, who are you selecting with their current cap hits? And remind everybody, the cap hits. Yeah, so McCarr 9, Quinn 7.885. Grady, please don't clip this. McCarr. And I'll, say, and I'll tell you why. Number one is a right shot defenseman. I think that's a bit sure. of a premium. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier to find good lefties than uh, than it is to find good righties. And also just straight up, McCarr's done this playing at the level of the best defenseman in the league for longer than Quinn has. Yep. And even now, even this season, yep. McCarr's got 27 points in 17 games as well. He's playing at 130-point pace too. So yes, Quinn's been better than McCarr this season, absolutely. Now, Quinn's flat out been the best player in the NHL overall, not just among defensemen, but McCarr's done it for so much longer. He's won a Stanley Cup. Yep. He's proven he can do it in the playoffs. He's a little bit bigger, which I don't put a ton of stock into. I don't really care about Hughes' size. But, but he can talking... ramp up the – sorry to cut you off. He can ramp up the physicality. Exactly. And as we've seen in the playoffs, like that still matters. And I don't think you know Quinn would shy away from it, but – He's gone out and done it, and he's won sure. the MVP at that too. Here's a counter argument for both of you, and and really for you, Harmon. Sorry, Grady. <laughs> really for you here on what you just said. One thing that Quinn Hughes hasn't had in those years where you're pointing to Kill McCarr, aside from a good team that can compete for a Stanley Cup, yep. is a steady, legitimate top pairing defenseman as his partner. That's fair. That's something Quinn Hughes hasn't had. Yeah. So I guess my question for you is: You're talking about how Quinn is outplaying Kill McCarr right now. How much do you attribute that to the fact that he finally has a legitimate partner as his defense partner? I think a good chunk of it um, is that. And I've brought up, I mean, last year I was pushing for Hughes to get Norris votes, not necessarily first place, but to get whether it's third, fourth, fifth place ballots. Second, I put him second on mine. That's 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 fair too. Anyways, go on. And one of the big points I brought up was look, a guy like McCarr gets to play with Devon Taves, who's also a stud defenseman, and Quinn in previous years has been lugging. Noah around. Juleson and Luke Shen. Okay, Juleson was only twelve games. Okay. Twelve but games yes. is a good chunk of the season. Let's be honest here. And you're still picking up Norris votes. You put anyways, no, I'm not gonna start. 
But that is a fair counter argument. Yeah. I will give you that. It's really close. But again, I will. It's hard to ignore how long Makar has has played at this elite level. I mean, he, he even he had a twenty eight goal season before. Yep. It doesn't it's, sound like the 34 Quinn's about to put up. It, oh, I'm just kidding. Go on. <laughs> McKinnon, They're neck and neck at this point, but yeah. I still give the edge to McCarr. Again, I think him being a right shot, if I'm building a team, I'm going to find it easier to get le- uh, good lefties compared to, to righties. So if this expansion draft happened right now, I am with you. I'm going with Kill McCarr. We think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs. Pretty safe to assume the Canucks are going to make the playoffs in some capacity. Let me see how Quinn Hughes performs in the playoffs this year. And then our expansion draft should be in July or whatever. I want to revisit this. Some listener of the listener of the show remind us in July, the dog days of summer, to rehash this conversation. Because right now I'm with you. You go with Kale McCarr, but I also agree with you that it's very close. And I think I might be going with Quinn Hughes by the summer. Yeah, at least he won't be tier three B in our eyes. No, I mean he never has been. <laughs> Anyways, uh, great contribution to the show there, Corey. We really appreciate it. Uh, Jeremy Lee, what bottom six players will you want to keep for the next year or two? I mean, Ooh. Phil DiGiuseppe is a top six player right now, but he is a bottom six player that I would like to keep around. You just talked about the effect of bumping him down in the lineup and what that would mean for the rest of the lineup and the overall depth of this team. I would say you've you know, you probably want to keep a guy like Phil Giuseppe around. Um, I think Arshdeep Baines is going to be a guy we need to keep a pretty close eye on uh, moving forward here. So I would say those two, especially like those are two guys I'm focusing on big time. I've liked Lafferty a lot. Mm-hmm. I, the way Josh was playing recently, he, I mean, it, it's contingent on him keeping it up with consistency, but the way he's playing right now, Absolutely, absolutely, he would have a spot in my bottom six any day with the type of size he brings, physicality, heft for a group that's otherwise a little bit small up front. Plus, he's really developed into a strong penalty killer. You look at Lafferty's goal at the end, it started with Joshua having a really smart stick to essentially intercept and poke out the D-to-D pass that the Sharks were attempting that goal doesn't happen without Joshua's play there originally. And and it's not just that moment. I've consistently felt that when opposing teams are trying to enter the Canucks' zone, when they're having to regroup in their defensive end, Joshua's really disruptive in the neutral zone, sort of with the angles he takes, with the way he gets his stick and disrupts a lot of those passes. He's been a real nuisance since he's been healthy scratched. And so the way he's playing, if he can continue that, He's got a spot in my bottom six any day as well. You know, another thing about Joshua that I think we need to mention is, look, we spoke about how, look, it took two resets from the coach publicly calling him out for Joshua to turn it around, then he stopped, and then he got benched, and then he got called out again, and then he turned it around again. I think to his credit, he seems like he's kind of, the second time was the charm, it feels like, and I know it wasn't that long ago, so we still need to see if there's going to be a third time here, but to his credit, like the guy seems like a bit of a self-starter now. And I think he's at that point now where he's just starting to get it on his own, where it's like, this is how I need to play every single night. If I want to stick in the national hockey league. And I think Dakota Joshua deserves a ton of credit for that. Okay. This one from our Australian listener, Oz Nuck, which former Canucks defenseman would you add to the current lineup? I'm going to say either Sallow or Bieksa. Bieksa would be... I mean, you could lot. add Alex Edler right now if you wanted to. Guy's still a free agent. 
Matthias Oland. Yeah, I think we're talking in their prime. So Alex Edler uh, is 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 an is an acceptable answer to some level, but we're not talking thirty six year old Alex Edler. I'm gonna say Sammy Salo. Yeah, I mean, there's so many good ones you could. I mean, really? <laughs> One second. No, say but that again. So, <laughs> so many solid ones you could pick. I mean, Prime Jobo was. I mean, Absolutely. not that I remember him. <laughs> we have YouTube. We have YouTube. We have YouTube. He was prone to a lot of turnovers. Okay, I did not know that. We don't have the turnover highlight package. <laughs> but, I mean, Bieksa being a right shot. Yeah, yeah, that was, it was Bieksa or Olin for me. Yeah. Cam Olin's a good one. Steady, yep. shut down, sort of doing what Ian Cole does, but, like, at a top pairing level, which is think such like, a huge difference. Do you think in 20 years, we're going to be in our, like, mid-40s as reporters, and there's going to be these young punks in the Vancouver media starting a podcast in the metaverse where they're like on VR and presenting and we're like, we're still on Spotify and sticking with our ways. And they are like, yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen Quinn Hughes play, but <laughs> like, is, is that going to be a world that we have to live in? It, maybe not Quinn Hughes, but like Alex, the 2011 era is just gone for these people. Oh, 2011 era will be long gone. Now that I'm saying this out loud, I can only imagine how, how frustrated like older, older listeners of our show are that we have no recollection of like the late 90s. Like this was a conversation in the press box. We don't remember the Mark Messier era at all. Yeah, no. Like, it, it didn't happen. Never happened. I know a lot of Canucks fans wish they could have that existence, well, but it's it legitimate a- for us. It never happened. Forgettable era. Yes. I mean, there was a lot of talent, but so much went wrong. And just you talk about the dysfunction last year, the dysfunction in the Messier era, bringing in Keenan. Messier after that 94 run Linden effectively getting booted out mm-hmm. getting stripped of the captaincy it was a gong show okay some really good contributions in the chat and I want to get to all of them sorry I'm not going to attribute them to each of you I'm just going to read them out loud these are the ones we've gotten here Jovo Cop, Willie Mitchell Chris Tanev Christian Erhoff playoff legend Aaron Rome and then someone said Ham Hughes as well Dave Babich and the yeah stash. my former coach Marcus Toes said Kluche in the playoffs, and I don't think he's no. saying I want to add him to the team. He's saying oh, the most heartbreaking That's I feel like yep. that's the right shot. When, exactly when, was, when was Chris Tanev's can, prime, Harmon? I would say 2013. The mid-2010s? Yeah. Okay. Mid-2010s. I like this one from Nick Willie Mitchell. Well, I said Willie Mitchell. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, oh. I did. It's okay. Um, yeah, we got a lot here. I like this. There's a lot. Yerky Lume. Yeah, I like this. I like this. This is great. And Oznuck said, yep, that's exactly how I feel. Young punks. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and virtual reality it made a good point. We should also mention, because he said, well, you guys should educate yourselves and do a deep dive on old footage. First of all, we absolutely have. And second of all, one resource that I just want to throw out, if there's any newer fans out there that want to kind of learn about the era, like obviously we know about the Messier and everything, a really good resource for me was Scott Rintoul's West Coast Express podcast. He did a fantastic job not only telling about the era of the West Coast Express and what it was, a deep dive from the people that were there, from media to the players of the era that happened before that and why the West Coast Express was so important for this city and why it was so important for this organization and really putting the Canucks back on the map. Like, You talk about bad years with Jim Benning at the helm. It was worse. Like, it was arguably worse right before that. Again, I know we make jokes that we didn't live through it, but going back and listening to 
empty arenas. Like you're playing in empty. Imagine that now. It never got that bad in terms of attendance and the dollars coming in. It never got that bad during the bad era with Jim Benning. And you just look at what that team, the, the, the amount of disarray that they were in following the 94 run, right? And the teams that were being iced after that. It was it was a dark era in this franchise's history. I should also point out, as much as we like to make jokes at our own expense, like my dad was a was a diehard yeah. during during that era. So trust me, I've had a lot of conversations yeah. with him about what was the '94 run like, what what was it like during the Messier era. So we're not totally oblivious. We just didn't. No, we're not the young punks. It. We're talking about the young punks who are going to be born in 2022 that end up working in the media by 2040 when we're starting to feel our back pain all over the place. Taking like our a, jobs. Yeah. It'll be like a TikTok live stream. Yeah. They're going to be dancing the whole time <laughs> on virtual reality on Meta. In the press box. Oh, oh. You guys are going to be yelling at the clouds. Yeah. Back in my day. <laughs> Back in our day, we were on YouTube live stream and everybody on radio thought that was crazy. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll move on here. Let's get to our, actually, man, I just love this. There is so much interaction in the chat today, folks. I just want to say a quick thank you to everybody in the YouTube live chat. Make sure you subscribe to the Canucks Arm YouTube channel. We're live Monday to Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific every single day. And if you're on the podcast, there, our podcast numbers are so much higher than our YouTube live chat. I think that's maybe... Uh, element of going in the middle of the day and only only a select amount of people are able to sit down with the show open um while they're at work or supposed to be working um i i think that's an effect of that but thank you also to all the podcast listeners we greatly appreciate it uh yeah be sure to subscribe to the channel and uh try to try to get in a live show if you've missed one they're a lot of fun uh okay let's get to our betway bet of the day as we close out here grady our betway Bet of the day, no action tonight or Thursday in the National Hockey League. So I know my boy Nikhil uh, over at Canucks Army who writes our Betway Bets of the Day articles. He's having a lot of trouble. He said, should I just write about football? And I said, absolutely. And I told him, pick the Jets. Go for the New York Jets. Uh, reminder, our football that quiz with Wyatt. You? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> our football quiz with Wyatt on Friday. You should start with negative one, one point because of that. Yeah, okay, I'll accept that. I accept that. Because here's the thing, I have played a lot of Madden. So if he starts asking questions about, like, what does zone defense mean or what is man-to-man and, you know, where what, where did each position go? Like, I know some of this stuff. So I'm, I'll, I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll, take a, I'll take a minus two handicap here. No, take a minus one. Minus one, okay. Because I, I, I don't want you to just give it to me, but you earned sure. that negative one. I did earn that <laughs> negative one. You are absolutely right. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, okay. Also, Virtual Reality bet? Channel, speaking of doing your research, Virtual Reality Reality Channel said there's a YouTube analyst who thought Rick Tockett was an enforcer. <laughs> Rick Tockett was one of the greatest goal scorers of his generation. And you go look back. You go look back at that Pittsburgh Penguins team he was on. And I, I got to talk to Rick about this more. Just, I mean, one thing, I think it was PJ that asked him it last year, but I was in the room and we were kind of joking about it. was like, where would Elias Pettersson slot in on the best Penguins team Tockett has ever played on. And I think Tockett, I think it was asked with cameras on. And I, I think Tockett said like, yeah, maybe like third, fourth line. But you look at that team, and I'm not saying Tockett off camera was like, oh, you wouldn't have even made the team. But you look at that team and there's a case for Elise Patterson to be like the 13th forward on that team with who they had. That team was so deep. 
that team was forward though that Come team on. was so deep Harmon. Okay. i know I, we're I doing know. a deep dive this is a summer content put it we got to start a summer content thing and write down our ideas because we're going to dive into that team and hopefully we can have uh talk it on the show and just no questions about the Canucks. just rick tell us about that team for 40 minutes i think that would be a lot of fun forward come on i think it would be a lot of fun to actually dive into it we're not doing it right now you're gonna healthy scratchly is better <laughs> okay maybe <laughs> not i'm gonna healthy scratchly is better so well, i'm just saying place. there's a case right. that's how good the team was not many guys were just shy of three thousand pims and thousand points in their career there's there's a conversation with Lewis Pearson does he pick up enough penalty minutes <laughs> I mean that would honestly be absolutely really back then absolutely well, you know way what? too soft back when we were sort of um watching the 2011 days it used to be weird to go up into the lineup and be like you know point out guys that hadn't been in a fight before in their career I don't know yes. if you did that but I, I'd sort of be like oh man the Sedins have never been in a fight that's kind of weird yeah not in a negative like, way not, but it was yeah, just yeah. like that's so interesting. The fact that they've never had an instant, and not just the Sedins, any any player who's never been into a fight, where it's like, you know, the one glove comes off and they just grab and hold on for dear life, that counts as a fighting major. That That's never, like the old Nikita yeah. Triamkin. They've never done that. They've never fought with one glove. Actually, Nikita, Nikita Triamkin kept the glove on his uh, punching hand and would punch with his glove on. There was one play, I think, where... I think it was I think it was Henrik. Might have been Daniel, but I'm fairly certain it was Henrik on a wrestling match with Corey Perry behind the play. And I was like, oh, please give this a five-minute major. Just so I, just so like <laughs> just so it's on the record. Just book. So it's on the record books. And no, they gave him two minute roughings each or something. Yeah. Linesmen were lines now, do. right? Yeah. Now now we don't even blink twice if a guy hasn't been in a fight before. Absolutely. And that's even just in our sort of generation. So imagine how different it was back in the day. Also, RW Hockey making a good point. In 93, Elias Pedersen would have got destroyed with the rules. That's why you put him on a line with Tockett. 13th forward. Get in the press he's box, He's too kid. smart. He would have found a way. Nope. Yeah, and, you're right. He's, <laughs> and he's not like, he's he's not a small guy. No, he's not. He's he would not. have found a way. He's a genius. The reverse yeah. hits he's been throwing lately, too. Look how I don't think he would get destroyed. He's hooking and... All that it would though. take him, you know what? He wouldn't be successful right away. It would take him a lot of years yeah, to get going. Absolutely. But like by his mid-20s, he would figure it out for sure. I like that. I actually think that's the right take because he's just too smart of a player not to figure it out. Okay, Once didn't he fully expect, fills out. Yeah. yeah. I didn't expect the show to uh take that turn. Did you we even to, get to the Betway uh, no, bet? We didn't. Yeah, pull it up here. <laughs> I'm just going off vibes. There's no hockey on Toronto Blue Jays to win the 2024. World Series at plus 2,000 odds. A $10 bet returns you 210 over at Betway. Must be 19 plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. When they get Shohei Otani, oh, those okay. numbers are going to absolutely skyrocket. Or did, did you did you choose this one? Yeah, I picked you it. You should be banned from baseball bets. Why? After you're picking the Braves and jumping. <laughs> like how hard you and Aaron were on the Braves. <laughs> the guarantees you made about how they were going to win the World Series. You should never be allowed oh. to make a baseball bet recommendation. Again he thought in your they life. were just going to homer their way through the World Series. I did. You, you got to know better. It's pitching and it's defense. But they had good pitching and defense, Grady. You know they had good pitch. They had the best. Okay. They but were good pitching I'm shuts not gonna, down good yeah, hitting. We're not, we're not going to start this. By but the way. Also, who, that, who had Ranger Suarez being the best pitcher in the nah. NLCS? Come on. They had better pitching heading into that. Don't start with me. Don't start with me. Hey. You got. You the, were guaranteed. You were the one making guarantees. I was. My vibes are a little better with hockey than they are baseball. <laughs> Billy guaranteed it. Yesterday's Betway best bet: Quinn Hughes over two and a half shots. That cleared. So there you go. Vibes. Dub. Vibes. But that wasn't a baseball bet. 
No, it wasn't. So I'll refrain from the baseball bets for now. Tune in next show when I talk about the Seattle Mariners and their World Series odds. <laughs> oh, we're going to lose viewers. They've got better odds than the Jays at winning the World Series, which uh, I don't know. Lower, lower, lower. Well, I guess you could say better. Yeah, 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 better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, okay. We'll close it out there. What a show, guys. What a great show once again. Yeah, I think it's been two good shows in a row this week. Well, Shout out the live chat. Absolutely buzzing today. Talk more baseball, and Chris will lay the smack down. He'll break through at the wall center. <laughs> Come in. we got to get Chris on the show soon. We'll talk about that another time. We'll close it out there for now, though. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Grady Sass, my name is Dave Budrelli. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel, and if you missed it, Go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.